0: Welcome to Russ Off the Cuff. Happy New Year. I say that because we haven't had a Russ Off the Cuff episode since the New Year came, and there's a reason for that. I've been putting in a lot of work to develop content, not only for Russ Off the Cuff, but for Lead Different, which you can find at leaddiff.com, the site where I write about leadership, and I'm going to talk a bit about the leadership topic that is most on my mind right now, which is leadership in times of crises. That'll be sort of the topic for not only the articles that'll be coming out. It's going to be about a five-part series. It's not done. I'm going to talk to you today about the introduction, which will land on Friday, as well as about the research that's behind it. And at the end of the podcast, I want to talk a little bit about Uh, leadership with regard to family, because I think that's really important. There's a small possibility, depending on length, that I'll get into the leadership uh, in times of crisis, specifically about family, on a separate uh, podcast. But right now, I'm not sure, because as we always say, this is Off the Cuff. So let me talk first about leadership in times of crises. Uh, I want to just share with you a quote from Toni Morrison, the incredible author of so many, incredible, so many uh, unique and um, resonant books as well as essays. She has a quote, if there's a book that you want to read, but it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it. Now, I'm not at the point where I want to write an actual book. You know, you, you never know when these things will take place. But I definitely wanted to write about to learn, understand better leadership in times of crises. What I see right now in this pandemic is that there's multiple levels of leadership. First, we lead ourselves. Then, second, if we're married or dating or any kind of partnership relationship, We're leading together in that relationship. And then we lead our family, our children, our household, which may include a parent or two, a grandparent or two uh, that we're taking care of. And then we lead, you know, in our community, at our company. uh, and, And it may be in a variety of positions and roles. But in each of these roles, there's crises that's involved. Why do I say that? because we're living in the age of the coronavirus. And that's something that I recognized fairly early on in 2020. Around about April, I realized we were going to be in the age of the coronavirus. But only recently have I completely accepted the truth of what this means, that we're in crises. And as the new president of the United States, Joe Biden, made clear Crises require action. Here's the quote from an article by Jonathan Lemire titled In First Days, Biden Flashes Action as Deep Problems Loom. I believe it's an Associated Press article. Here's the quote from Joe Biden, President Biden. The crisis is not getting better, it's deepening, Biden said Friday about the impact of the pandemic. A lot of America is hurting, the virus is surging. Families are going hungry. People are at risk of being evicted again. Job losses are mounting. We need to act. The bottom line is this. We're in a national emergency. We need to act like we're in a national emergency, he said. That caught my attention. We're in a national emergency. We need to act like we're in a national emergency. For me, I don't know about you, the pandemic has been difficult personally, with regard to family, friends, extended family, with regard to those that I work with and projects, I'm not saying it's been bad, and there have been so many uniquely encouraging moments, but there's also been painful and difficult moments as I've seen people get sick, as I've heard of people passing away, even today at this recording, which is on a Wednesday. I heard about Sekou Smith, the sports writer, dying of COVID at 48 years old. That was disturbing. It was a reminder that the disease continues to stay focused, whether we're focused or not, whether we're making the environment we're in political or not, whether we are fighting a personal battle with our personal opinion about it or not. And in the middle of all that, I don't even take a side. I'm not trying to even pull up a side on these things. I'm saying that crisis is here. And you may be sitting there and saying, well, I don't even want to think about these things it's too negative. I totally get it. As I watch the news and read the news uh, on the Internet, as I even read books that are now covering the pandemic, it can be discouraging to hear about the vaccines and the fact that they're here but they're not accessible. To see the long lines or the lack of availability, To so hear governors sniping against presidents, presidents sniping against governors, senators Congress and congressmen sniping at each other. And all the while, as the president said, we're in a crisis and crises require action. Rather than think about politics, I thought about my own life and about those I lead with and work with and whether or not we're treating this properly as a time to lead in crises It's easy to embrace the mindset that comes from our instincts as an evolutionary entity, which is to choose fight or flight. And maybe you've been there. I've been there on the flight. Boy, it would be great to live in a desolate rural area where there are no people so I don't have to worry about anything. Um, Some of us maybe fight, fight politically, fight, uh, take up a cause and say, I'm going to fight on that. I'm going to fight for this or I'm going to fight for that. And what we don't often recognize is the crisis is making us have a much more extreme sense of fight or flight. And that's the challenge of leading in a time of crisis, I think. There's a cut and run mentality to run away from our relationships and isolate to run away from our responsibilities. The increase we're hearing of divorce. There's a tendency to choose flight. There's a tendency to fight. There's so much more anger. And I think we can all feel that. And with the tendency to fight or flight, it adds even more pressure to our daily lives because as we go to work, if we're unhappy with our job, then the pandemic makes that even worse. There's a definition for this called force multiplier. This pandemic crisis is the predominant force at work in our lives. COVID-19 has become a force multiplier. That's an important term. It's a military term. It's defined by the U.S. Department of Defense. Force multiplier in the Special Operations Handbook of 2007 is defined this way. Force multiplier, quote, a capability that when added to and employed by a combat force significantly increases the combat potential of that force and thus enhances the probability of successful, successful mission accomplishment. The force multiplier makes everything much, much, much more potent. Every aspect of our lives has been disrupted by the force multiplying impact of the coronavirus This isn't going to be discouraging, so you can keep listening. It's going to be very positive. But we need to think about this. Have you been like me, where the negative is multiplied, especially for those less fortunate, turning everyday discouragement into chronically stressful and in some cases emotionally devastating events? You want something funny happened to me, not it wasn't funny at the time. At the beginning of this pandemic, our refrigerator broke. And we were without a refrigerator. And the guys couldn't find the part. Well, they could find the part. They couldn't get the part because shipping had been changed and they deprioritized parts, mechanical parts to appliances. In the end, I had to get rid of the company that I was using and find another company and they got the part and we got it fixed. But it was an extraordinarily stressful way to start the pandemic. Why? Because the negative is force multiplied. It becomes much more lethal in the middle of the pandemic. You can imagine we couldn't get groceries and store them, so we had to go to the grocery store more often. And it was more—it was scarier because you really don't want to be going any more than you need to. And so who can control that? Then later on in the pandemic, we had an electrical problem. without was not working, and that got worked out, but I didn't want to be getting an electrician. Number one, I didn't have the money, and number two, I didn't want to be around anybody. This was early in the pandemic. And what rings true to me, maybe it rings true to you, is it's like a force multiplier. Normally, if the refrigerator went out, you, you get somebody, they have the part, you get it fixed. Normally, in a pandemic, if some electrical problem takes place, you call the electrician, you get it fixed. You're still out the money, but there's not the danger. There's not the fear that if someone's in your house, you're going to have this disease spread and we have immune vulnerable people in our home. Immune vulnerable family members. Do you have that? It makes you think a whole lot different about whether this is serious or not. In the same way though, the positive has multiplied by the force multiplier. Yeah. The positive is multiplied. And I've seen that in the digital work that I do. The Live streams, which I never wanted to be involved in live streams, have been extremely successful. Our podcast, our digital articles and and graphics have been incredibly popular in all the work we're doing. And it surprised me. But again, there's an accelerant with this coronavirus. It accelerates the negative. It accelerates the positive. Let's just sit back and think about that for a minute. Have you been extremely discouraged? More than likely, it's because like me, you have to realize we're in a crisis and that the negative is being force multiplied. And that means we've got to work to resist allowing the force multiplication of the negative, the exponential emotional feelings we get from something that could happen in normal times and it wouldn't bowl us over, but it happens during the pandemic and it just crushes us. We have to at least be aware of that and be involved in conversations. Let me just take a a little segue here. I think that when it comes to family, we've got to be involved in friends. We've got to be involved in a variety of conversations, emotional conversations, honest conversations, spiritual conversations. We have to talk more. If you're a meditator, meditator, if you meditate, if you pray, it's time to do that and have conversations with God or whatever view you have of a higher power or whatever view you have of the spiritual world. Because the truth of the matter is that we can't handle the extraordinary stress of the pandemic by just grinding it out because we don't know when it's going to be over and we don't know what is ahead. And one way also to handle it is by realizing that the positive can be multiplied, that there are opportunities which may have been normal before that you would have taken advantage of that. Now, if you take advantage of them, I call them paradigm shifting transformative moments paradigm shifting transformative moments for instance Russ off the cuff it's difficult to do a podcast so i just started putting a few couple of pieces of equipment together and just doing them from my closet and it's been surprising to me how popular it's been and it's just me and normally i feel like i need to be doing this with somebody else but that's obviously social distancing and everything else is difficult And I just started doing it, and it's been incredibly encouraging to hear. And I know that some of you have been wondering, where is the next one at? Well, here we go. And this one will probably be, you know, substantial enough that you'll be able to listen to it for a while, hopefully get something out of it, and set you up for what we're going to do in the future. So let's remember this concept. The coronavirus is a false multiplier. It's going to make the negative worse, at least emotionally. It may not be worse realistically. Like, the real truth is, having a broken refrigerator was not the worst thing ever happening in my life. But during the pandemic, it took on greater negativity. Do you see what I'm saying? I hope you do. In the same way, all the digital work, it took on greater acceleration and success, and so it was more positive. So it's important that as we go through this pandemic, we see the negative, but we balance it by seeing the positive. And my guess is for many of us, if you're tempted to do fight or flight, then we're gonna be, when we fight, we're gonna be more angry, more irritable, more mad, and I've, I've done that and we're going to end up, you know, just not making it very pleasant. If we, f- if we flight, if we run, we're going to end up damaging relationships. It may feel tem- t- tempting to say, I want to go live on a mountain in a, in a, in a, in a, I don't know well do you live on a mountain then. <laughs> I'm going to live on a mountain in a tent You know, whatever, get some hiking or mountain climbing shoes and, and and start climbing and get up there in one of those little tents in the snow and and be able to be away from all people and be safe from disease and then freeze to death. But, um, we have those feelings, those thoughts, get that, get that uh, RV. I've been thinking about that, get that RV and travel across the world, the country, go to Canada, whatever it is. You know, you get these things in your head, but we don't often think when we involve ourselves in flight that we're breaking and tearing apart the fabric of all of our relationships. And in the end, when the pandemic's over, all the people we fought and all the people we ran away from, we will realize at that moment, well, those were the best things in our life. It reminds me of The Family Man, a great Christmas movie with Nicolas Cage and Tia, I forget her last name, but you can look it up. And there's a scene in a restaurant where he's bemoaning the fate of their life, being very middle class in his mind. He had been rich before he was put on this sort of uh, um, reversal to a life that he could have had if he'd married her. And when he's given the family, he's got kids, responsibilities, less money. And he's sitting there at a restaurant talking to her about his regret about the life they have. And he goes, do you ever feel that? And she responds, his wife responds, yes, I, I see and think about what might've been. But then I realized when I think about what might have been that all the things I'm most certain of in my life would be gone. I think during the pandemic and the coronavirus period here, if we run and we fight, we may find that all the best things and certain things in our life, our relationships, that we've torn them all apart because we were afraid. That's why leading in a time of crisis is a topic that I want to get into. Let me tell you a little bit more. About the topic okay what I've been doing is I've been researching and examining this because I have a leadership responsibility in my own life and I decided hey I've got to start understanding and being able to help other people that I know with how do we lead well in a crisis how do we lead well with the with the exponential growth and stress with the uncertainty with the fear with the anxiety, the damage this has done to people who um, really are, are the highest percentage of people in America, which are those who you know are struggling to make it in different parts of the country, they're struggling to make it in my own backyard, people who don't have the ability to re- work remotely from home, people who don't have the ability to make orders on Amazon that have to go to the store or whatever it is, the deliveries, whatever those delivery services are that we can use. Not everybody can do that, and I thought a lot about it. And if you read my article that'll be dropping uh, this Friday, hopefully with this podcast, Leadership in Times of Crises, try to overcome the temptation to be bored with statistics and information like that. I'm not saying you're going to be, but you might be. And look at the pain that's being inflicted on a lot of people. And so I looked at all that and I t- looked look on some conversations I've had with people. A lot of people I've had conversations with, they're thinking about a lot of different things right now, ideas, opportunities. Some of them ha- are thinking about the, f- the, the battles for, you know, things they want to accomplish. And what I, uh, I guess what I was thinking about in my own head was only people who have some level of affluence have the space to think about those things. A lot of other people are trying to survive. And so it, occurred to me that, that in one of the articles I've written on leaddiff.com, empathy is an antidote. You can look it up there. Empathy is an antidote. It's a uh, leadership um, that, that, that during the pandemic, we need empathetic leadership, something like that. You can look it up on leaddiff.com. But I thought that's what we need now is we need empathetic leadership. We need active leadership, like um, where we take action and do things, where we accomplish things, where we meet people's needs. I even think that's what, We need in government. We need government that's going to get things done. And so I decided to research and I'm just going to give you an idea of the research I've been doing. One is Frederick Douglass. Incredible. When I was young, I read books about him, but recently I picked up a book by David W. I believe it's Blight and uh, it's incredible book. And so I hope to talk about how Frederick Douglass managed crises. He was a slave for a little significant part of his life that became free and became one of the greatest orators and writers this country has ever known. And when you read it and you, 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 you imagine what he went through, it makes you realize every single human being faces crises, and it's how we handle those crises and how we lead during those crises that determine the good or the bad we do for the people around us. Another great book, Eric Foner, The Fiery Trial, Abraham Lincoln and American Slavery. And I, I started reading these books separate and apart. It wasn't a slavery theme, though that's a reasonably good theme. Then this one's really cool. Uh, I had not heard of this book and didn't know about this book, but it's a book called Lincoln's Battle with God. It 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 surprised me. Now I've I've got another a couple of books on on Lincoln, uh, Wrestling with His Angel by Sidney Blumenthal. It's a three part book series, and uh, that's the I think that's the middle one. That's the middle book. But these two make me think about how much of a spiritual struggle it is to handle crises. Um, with Frederick Douglass, how much of a struggle it is to get out of the slave mentality. And that's a mentality where you don't think you're good enough. You don't think your opinion matters. You have difficulty developing the confidence to be able to say, I don't have to be defined by the master. It's really incredible. I'm not sure I'll be able to write that up well enough as I just said it. Then Franklin Roosevelt, the defining moment by Jonathan Alter, a fantastic book about how Franklin Roosevelt was able to manage the crises of the depression in World War II. But I'm adding that with some other reading I've done in the past about how he was able to deal with polio and help people like him who were facing polio and dealing with the pain and the loss of polio. And that experience, which I'm sure many of us are familiar with Warm Springs and all he did there. But that experience of crises in his personal life really made him able to handle crises in uh, the, 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 in his leadership. And I think that's a big factor with leadership in crisis. If we don't know how to manage and handle, endure, persevere with crises in our own personal life, it's unlikely we'll handle crises as a leader. Another book by James McGregor Burns, Transforming Leadership. It, again, talks about the, the idea of crises being a transformative thing, both in personal lives and in the lives of, of leaders who lead. David J. Garrow, a book called Burying the Cross about Martin Luther King. Oh my, uh, I, um, I just don't, it, I've, re- I've read it before, year, like so many years ago, but uh, studying it again and evaluating it again, it became more personal. The, the spiritual struggle, of Martin Luther King, I would argue, based on what I'm learning, is the most significant one that allowed him to become the transformative leader and civil rights advocate that he was. Leadership by Doris Kearns Goodwin. She covers a number of leaders in there, one of which is Lyndon Baines Johnson, who she worked for. But it's all about leading in turbulent times. Leadership in turbulent times by Doris Kearns Goodwin just tremendous. This one by Nancy. Um, let me see. I can barely read her name here on my list. Nancy core. I don't think that's it. I'm going to look that up while I'm telling you, the name of the book is forged in Crisis." Doesn't that sound good? Now it's not as good as, um, some of the others, honestly, but it, it's a, it's a very, um, manageable book. On leading in crises so forged in crisis the making of five courageous leaders It actually covers Frederick Douglass in there and Abraham Lincoln her name is Nancy F Cone, K O E H N if you're interested in that book now I found it to be awesome I'm not I'm not putting it down but it's not on the level of the Frederick Douglass book the bearing the cross book it, it's not on the level of Doris Kearns Goodman's book or Sidney Blumenthal's wrestling with his angel Then another book that'll probably surprise you that I read, Andrew Roberts' book, Leadership in War, Essential Lessons from Those Who Made History. And then another one I've been researching, The Road to Character, David Brooks. Also M. Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled. I know I'm going kind of fast, but it's because I don't think you really want to dwell on all those. Then here's one, Spiritual Radical, Abraham Joshua Heschel. And then Eric H. Erickson, you're probably familiar with him on development of uh, the stages of life and and so forth. But he he wrote an analysis of of Martin Luther, young man Luther, and the um yeah the, the the life development of Luther that made him who he was. Very very interesting. And again, all of these carry the theme of crises. One of my favorite books, Ron Chernow, on Ulysses S. Grant. As you may know if you've read my work, uh, you know that I love Ulysses S. Grant. Then uh, the essential. Uh, the essential works, the essential um, works of uh, Abraham Lincoln, and it it um, the life and writings of Abraham Lincoln from the Modern Library of Classics. That's that's how you can find it. But it it told me things about Lincoln because I haven't read all of the works by Herndon and other people who knew him. I've only read like historical scholars. But when I was able to to read some of those quotes, it it really it caused me to to respect Lincoln more. Leadership on the Line, Ronald A. Heifetz and Marty Linsky. Leadership on the Line. I read that a long time ago, and I'm re-studying it again. Again, every one of these books talks about crises and how crises shaped individuals, prepared them for leadership, affected nations, and shaped nations. And then Team of Rivals, again, by Doris Kearns Goodwin, which covers again, the same. Now you can see there's a predominance of Lincoln books. Now I've edited out a number of books that were originally on my list that I've read that I decided not to um, cover. And I'll, I'll try to put those books out later. But what I'm saying is all this study and all this examination has convinced me that leading at a time of crisis is something that you and I will not be able to do unless we face crises in our own lives, unless we face a uh, crisis um in uh, and deal with crises uh, in our own um, family, extended family and friends' lives, and then taking our personal crises, the crises we help our loved ones with, and that all sort of begins to shape our character so that we are able to lead in crises. My conclusion on it has been so far, and looking at everything, is that those of us who fail in times of crises have already failed in personal crises. And what I mean by failed in personal crises is not... Um, I guess I'm trying to say everybody makes mistakes. Everybody, if you would, commits um sins, is makes mistakes, uh, uh it has has moments and times of, of of dark uh tribulation, of loss, of grief, of of pain, and it's through those that we are shaped. Uh, the positive absolutely helps, uh, victories are essential, but as uh, Coach Szefsky from uh, Duke University basketball, um, has always said. I believe it was him and many others who said they learned more from their losses and their failures than they ever learned from their successes and their victories. Each of the men that I planned to study, and I didn't have a woman on the list just because I was, just started reading books. Uh, they're certainly uh, great women, and I would choose Eleanor Roosevelt to be top of the list. Helen Keller would be top of my list. Harriet Tubman would be be really high on my list. Rosa Parks would be high on my list. Um, many of these uh, Elizabeth Dole, Republican uh, um, um, politician, and uh, and uh, and wife of um, another politician, uh, Robert Dole. All these kinds of people, I've seen them go through things and face things. Even 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 the individual, there are many individuals today in politics. So the question I think comes down to this: If you made it this far in the podcast, are you willing to lead in a crisis? Well, if you are, you're going to have to start at home. And one of the books I look at all the time that I think helps me the most with understanding depth, the depth, the depth with which we have to deal with our spiritual selves, our emotional selves, our mental selves, our physical selves, um, is the Holy Scriptures, the sacred books, the, 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 the philosophical books. And here's some, some ideas just for dealing with crises in family. I'm going to whip these out to you. Proverbs 11:29: "Those who trouble their households will inherit wind, and the fool will be a servant to the wise." This thing basically teaches me one point called, or that I've kind of labeled, "A failure to prioritize home will bring trouble on our families." We bring trouble in our families when we end up making our ambitions, our work, our goals more important than our family. If we're going to learn to deal with crises, the first thing we have to do in the middle of a pandemic and say, I'm prioritizing home. If I am not tackling the challenges of the pandemic and other challenges of home, then I'm in fight or flight mode. Probably I'm running away from home to take on easier things. Because I don't want to deal with home. A lot of us as leaders end up deprioritizing home, not because it's hard, but because it's humbling. Number two, in Proverbs 14.1, every wise woman builds her household, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. And when the Bible uses men, we expect it to apply to everybody. But when it uses women, we tend to say, well, that's for women. So I look at this and I go, well, this applies to anybody. If you're a wise person, you're going to build your household. And what I learned on this point, after the first point, the challenge is to, 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 to really deal with our failure to prioritize home, to make it the priority. Second on this scripture about every wise woman builds her household, but a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. Families are the most important thing we can build. Right now, I just think if you're listening and you've made it this far, I want you to sit down. I want you to ask the question. Is my self-esteem, is my satisfaction, is my sense of pride, is my hope and joy building my family? That I would be willing to subjugate any goal, any accolade, any amount of money, any reward in order to further the cause of my family. Families are the most important thing we can build. That's the point here. And if we don't believe that, then in a time of crisis, we may go out and rescue companies. We may go out and rescue nations. But the devastation we leave behind will be our family. And as the scripture said in Proverbs 11:29, "We'll inherit wind." We'll be on our deathbed, laying there, going, "Why in the world did I make so many other people happy that I didn't even know?" And made. The people I knew best, the most unhappy. we don't want to do that. We don't want to be there. Proverbs 15:27: "The one who is greedy for gain troubles his household, but whoever hates bribes will live. How about that? That's pretty powerful. You know what that says to me? Motives matter. That's right. The one who is greedy for gain troubles his household, but whoever hates bribes will live." Proverbs 15:27. That's in the NET translation of the Bible, if you're into translations. On this one, I made a note, the propensity to seek gain over building our family. And sometimes I think we as men, we can sometimes have a propensity to seek gain over building our family. We can be preoccupied with office politics, career politics, intrigue, maneuvering, all because we're greedy for gain. We're not satisfied with our family. We're not satisfied with building our family. We don't get our esteem from seeing our wife do well or our husband do well or our kids do well or our extended family members do well. We're so consumed by sort of dealing with, I know for me dealing with my inner insecurity, anxiety, and fear. I get so consumed by that. I think if I can gain this, then it'll remove that. It won't. What will remove all of that emptiness will be, you guessed it, prioritizing, building our family over gain. Have you been worried about your title at work? Have you been worried about what people say about you, whether you're well-respected, whether people appreciate what you've contributed, been there? And what we're learning from the scriptures, but what I think is a good principle is, if you're truly going to have a life that's worth living, you want to be able to prioritize those will be around your deathbed over those who will not even know that you're passing. And that starts with building your family, and I would include in family your household, the people that you care for, that maybe not blood family, but they're part of maybe uh, um, just you growing up, they're best friends, they're part of your church, they're part of your club, whatever it is, wherever you put down those deep roots, make sure that you never choose gain over people. And I think that's what that's an important part. All these are important part of leading in a crisis, because what are we talking about here at the end? We're talking about if you don't lead well in a crisis at home, then what does it matter how you lead in a crisis other places? Go back and watch the movie Abraham Lincoln, uh, the one based on team of rivals with Daniel Daniel Day Lewis, because in that they try to make a very crucial point that he never neglects his family to the degree where it doesn't affect him. Obviously he's president of the United States, but you can see the effect of his loss of a child, see the effect of his current children, see the battle with trying to get his son not to go to war because he doesn't want to lose another child. See the battles that he and his wife deal with. It is profound. And I think for many of us, sometimes in a crisis, the first thing we drop is our family. Number four, Listen to this beautiful Proverbs 27, 25 to 27 Proverbs 27, 25, 27 in the passion translation, which actually combines them all that I think they make sense of it better than some other translations. Take care of your responsibilities. That means care for your family. Take care of your responsibilities and be diligent in your business. I like how they separate out your responsibilities from your business, your responsibilities from your livelihood. Yeah, you need to be able to pay the bills, but those, those, are, those, are, your, that's your business. But what about your responsibilities? Do you have that clear understanding that my responsibility is to those I love and my diligence is for the business I run or work for? Take care of your responsibilities and be diligent in your business, and you will have more than enough and abundance of food, clothing, and plenty for your household. What's my point on this? Love and diligence are the key to taking care of our family. Yeah, when we're diligent and we run our business well or work for our employer well, then we're going to have the finances to take care of everything. But there's nothing to take care of if we're diligent in our business and we don't care for our responsibilities. Love and diligence are the key to taking care of our family, being concerned, being emotionally connected. And let's drop the number five. Thanks for hanging in there. This is a little longer podcast than I normally have done on Russ off the cuff, but we're going for it today because I want to get us started. And I kind of owe you guys a little something of what I've been thinking about what's been going on. Listen to this in first Timothy three verse four, passion translation TPT. It's talking about a leader in the Bible. And it says this, if you're going to be a leader in the church, it says this and the church is the leadership group. So how do you apply that to your company? Well, if you're going to take care of people, think about it that way. God's view, the Bible's view is, if you're going to take care of people, you have to have a certain kind of heart. What does it say the kind of heart you need to have? His heart should be set on guiding his household with wisdom and dignity, bringing up his children to worship with devotion and purity. 1 Timothy 3, 4, past translation. What's this saying? His heart should be set on guiding his household. If we're not emotionally, spiritually, mentally and physically connected to our family, then our leadership in a time of crisis will never be authentic. We may be working on a business. We may pull a business out. We may start three companies and make lots of money. But if the lives of our children and spouse are falling apart, being crushed, empty, and dissatisfied, then have we truly led in a crisis? I don't think so. That's what I'm learning. So what's the point here? Everything starts at home. If we're going to be leading in a time of crisis, everything starts at home. Now, I listed out a bunch of books to you. We'll be having a number of of episodes of leading in a time of crisis. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you talk about it. I hope you think about it. I'm going to be doing that. You can find the article that will drop on Friday leaddifferent.com. It'll be called Leadership in Time of Crisis. It's just part one. It'll cover some things we talked about at the beginning, but it's got more in there about the condition of the world and the need for us to be empathetic about what's going on with the people around us. And then we're going to start dropping episodes that'll talk about some of the leaders that I've mentioned and uh, how they managed personal crises and how they turned the management of personal crises into the capacity to lead in a crisis. Russ, off the cuff, thank you so much for listening. It's great to be back. Again, Happy New Year. Stay safe. Be patient. Believe. And most of all, go ahead. Be a leader. The world needs them more than ever.